We ended the end of chapter 6 last week, and as is our way of doing things, uh, we'll continue in uh, John chapter 7, verse 1. So last week... um, we had uh, covered what was uh, what was happening after Jesus had fed the 5,000. And uh, then he was speaking of him being the bread of life that came down from heaven. And many of his followers, uh, you know, had had left when, when he got very pointed in what it meant to follow him. And uh, they didn't quite understand that he was having a spiritual conversation with him. And they were thinking that he was, when he said, you must eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they didn't understand that you have to believe that his his flesh was uh, was his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us and we would have to accept that in our hearts. They thought he was talking about uh, cannibalism and they said we we don't understand this thing. We're gone. And many of the followers that he had picked up, uh, you know, throughout the time of ministering in that area, uh, were uh, thinned out. Because uh, it, when it came t- down to the fact of seriously following the Lord and, and uh, uh, making that commitment to him and that it, he wasn't calling people to cannibalism. It was, it was accepting who he was, that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And uh, so the, when we get into John chapter 7, verse 1, it says, after these things, these are the things that, that it's speaking of. So he asked the 12 if they wanted to go. He's like, do you also want to go? And and Peter has those famous words, you know, Lord, where else would we go? You know, you alone have the words to eternal life. And uh, you know, then Jesus breaks the news to them that one of them was a devil, and he's talking about Judas Iscariot. So when we get into chapter uh, chapter seven, verse one, and it says, after these things, those are the things that that it's going into. Now, the rest of what we're going to be looking at here in in John uh, is covering the last six months of Jesus's ministry on earth and his life on earth. So this is now beginning that that last six months. So uh, as we go forward, you understand it's it's that short time uh, time frame that's that's covered for the rest of the book of John. So John chapter 7, verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, uh, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, Jesus wasn't afraid. It just wasn't God's will for him to be there yet. And, you know, God's timing, it wasn't time for him to die yet. So uh, when it came, uh, what we're reading here is that he didn't want to go there. It's because the timing wasn't quite ready yet. It was it was still building up to that. Now, this was what we're reading here is about two years after what happened in John chapter five. So there's a lot of ministry that's happened here. Uh, but as we look at it, remember, we talked about this when we got into John, that John isn't necessarily a chronological everything that was happening uh, as it goes. It was more focused on the I am statements and the seven miracles that Jesus did. Seven I am, seven um, uh, miracles that he had he had performed. So when the Jews, uh, after Jesus has healed that, that man uh, and uh, he had done it on the Sabbath, then uh, the Jews, the religious leaders, uh, were after him. They, they wanted to take his life. So two years later, this is where it's at. And uh, Jesus stayed in the Galilee, Galilee region because of this. Now, regarding God's timing, uh, Psalm 31, verses 14 and 15 says, But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those uh, who persecute me, understanding that our lives, when we've submitted our lives to Christ, our, our, our time is in his hands. When we've committed our lives to the Lord and we trust in him, 
we're on a whole different schedule than what the world is. You know, our lives are, are set in God's hands. And, you know, even our times, our lives uh, are, are in his hands. So those religious leaders uh, who were supposed to know who he was have rejected him. You know, now they've sought to kill him because, you know, he claimed a few reasons. He claimed to be equal with God. And mainly here, what we're, reaching, uh, we're looking at is because he had healed someone on the Sabbath. So they, they didn't like the fact that he was claiming that he, he was saying who he, exactly who he was, that he was making the claims to be equal with God, and that he had told a man to carry his bed on the Sabbath. So that got their attention, and then, uh, then Jesus lets them know that, that uh, you know, what he did, that he healed him on the Sabbath, was not breaking the law, and, and uh, they just didn't like it. There was, there was nothing that Jesus did uh, that, uh, that contradicted the Scriptures, and uh, he didn't violate the scriptures. They just didn't like it because it, it violated their own traditions. Remember, Jesus actually called them out about honoring their traditions over the word of God. Verse 2, now the Jews' uh, feast of, the, of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourselves yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, it just, uh, just reading through what his brother said, if it didn't say uh, even his brothers didn't believe in him, you might think, oh, well, why would you want to do all these things in secret? But it was because they didn't believe in him. They're saying all this because they, they themselves didn't even believe in who Jesus was. So the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, late September, early October, some, somewhere in that frame, the Feast of Booths, and it was a celebration of God's provision throughout the 40 years while Israel was uh, wandering in the wilderness. And so they would get together and they would have these separate booths that them and their families would stay in. And it would add the kids, it would spark the kids to ask, why are we in a booth? Why are we, why are we living outside of our home? So oftentimes they would, they would build their booth on top of the house or next to the house or in the yard or whatever. And they'd be able to look up at the sky and, and, and talk to their parents, what are we doing out here? And they'd be able to share with their children because we're out here celebrating God's provision. For you know our our you know, predecessors, our ancestors before us, except that they were they were fed miraculously by the Lord. They they ate manna and quail, uh, and there was a rock that followed them that water would come out of. And we know now from Corinthians that that water is was that that rock was Christ. So just just to think that water was coming out of a rock, that bread was falling out of the sky, and that quail were coming right to him. And I, I love how Ken Graves described this years ago. I heard him say, "Coming right, you know, if you play baseball, right in the sweet spot, you know, just just when you'd get a swing, whack, right about waist high, and they'd be able to take him out." They had this miraculous provision from the Lord, and uh, that's what they were celebrating—the feast of of, of uh, tabernacles where they would live in booths and uh, they were celebrating. It's one of the three major feasts. Now, uh, understanding how, how powerful uh, it was to celebrate this in Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Nehemiah and Ezra, read those two together uh, because we understand those two at the same time were being called to be leaders of Israel after they had been drawn away. King Artaxerxes had had given them permission to go rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. So 
they uh, had finished uh, Nehemiah's focus was building, rebuilding the uh, the wall around Jerusalem. And uh, when we uh, studied Nehemiah a few years ago, when I was filling in for Will, uh, we looked at it from a leadership aspect, and we were talking about the leadership lessons of Nehemiah. And looking at chapter 8, as leaders, especially Christian leaders, you want to point people to God. And Ezra, in Nehemiah chapter 8, brings all the people together and reads to them uh, the law. And as he's reading the law, and he's finished reading the law, everybody's gathered together, their hearts are broken, their hearts turn back to the Lord, and there's great revival. So understanding, they were they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles as he did this. So th this was a special time for Israel. Uh, we may just look at it and go, okay, hey, it was this it was a special day for them. But understanding what the Feast of Tabernacles meant, that they would even dwell outside their homes for that week, and that they would be uh, have the opportunity to share that with their kids. So adult males that were within twenty miles were required to attend. It was one of those big ones, and. Uh, that uh, that everybody had to be there for. So it was a big deal. And so his brothers are saying, hey, you know, this is a big thing, and um, you, you, should be, you should be making yourself known. Now, Jesus had brothers, and uh, it's also written of in chapter 2 and also in Matthew's gospel, along with sisters that were mentioned in Matthew uh, chapter 13. Now, I came from the Catholic Church, and uh, in the Catholic teachings, uh, is that Mary remained a perpetual virgin, that, that she never had any type of, of sexual intimacy with her husband. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, we, I'm going to read to you, and you're going to see a verse on here uh, from Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, um, just as soon as it pops up there. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 say, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought first her, forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Till the firstborn was born. There was no sexual intimacy between that husband and wife until after Jesus was born. It's in the scripture, guys. To say otherwise is is against the scriptures. Right there in Matthew chapter one. I mean, you could in any type of conversation. A lot of my family is still Catholic, and I've had some I've had some great conversations with them. Unfortunately, the, Catholicism has gone the way of honoring tradition over the Word of God. Hard in that direction, you know, hundred percent in that direction, maybe ninety nine, whatever it is. And and me growing up in that, I understand it. And I can speak to it. You can't say that what says what's said in the scripture doesn't didn't take place. It did. It's right there. Till that till means that at some point that ended up happening. So I just just wanted to get that clear and get that out there. Jesus's brothers, they they believed in his ability to do miracles. They had seen those things, but they didn't quite believe in who he was. That he was the Messiah. And his brothers were telling him, "Hey, focus. What are, what are you doing?" Take the show on the road. Go to the bigger crowd. Go, go. You know where where uh, more people are going to hear. But it wasn't it wasn't with sincere hearts. It was because they didn't believe. Like if this is so true, let's bring let's bring this right on in, into the out into the open and let's focus on that. They were saying it because in their eyes, he still needed to prove himself. They didn't believe there was something that still needed to be proven to them. 
So the Jews were were looking, uh, you know, for a big show from the Messiah. And uh, you know that what they didn't know is is that uh, his he was doing those things and that he was right in front of them and they didn't recognize him. They didn't even recognize him. They didn't believe yet. His brothers didn't. But we see that later on, after his death and resurrection, that they did. That something changes in their hearts. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says, Then uh, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, became a great church leader and, and wrote the book of James. When you read James, and he's calling himself a bondservant, he's calling his brother his Lord. So he's he's putting himself in the, in, in the position of submission to his brother, and uh, that his brother is greater than he is. There was a point where they didn't believe in Jesus, but after his death and resurrection, they came to believing faith in the one that they grew up with. Familiarization. We can grow so familiar with the Lord that we forget who he is. Or maybe maybe a son or daughter born and raised into a Christian home attends church, don't have their own relationship with Jesus. We should always be pressing. Do you, you have your own relationship. You coming to church with us, we've told our kids, you you have your own special your own relationship with the Lord. I have mine. Your mom has hers. We as a family serve the Lord, but we all have our own. We all have to come to the Lord on our own and have our own relationship with Jesus Christ. We come to that point. Regarding the bigger platform that's being uh, discussed here, when they're trying to push him, hey, hey let's, let's bring the show on the road. You still have some more to prove. Let's, let's go here uh, it, it, where they're saying go to Jerusalem versus Galilee. David David Guzik said this, and I wanted to share it with you. The people of Jerusalem often looked down on the Jews of Galilee. Since Jesus did most of his miraculous works there, it gave the religious leaders in Jerusalem another reason to say that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, because he didn't do most of his works in front of the right audience. You know, they're trying to put Jesus into a box. Well, because of this and that, no, he's not the Messiah because of this. You can't do that. Jesus is who he says he was, and he backed it up on every, every claim that he made. Verse 6, Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always already. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this, you go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. So Jesus says, my time has not yet come. He still has six months to go. And he, he's again referencing his time. His time. He constantly, as we're studying him, that he's, he's saying, my time, my time. You have your time. You're operating on your things. But you know, God has a, a completely uh, different timing than what we have. You know, and, and, and he, Jesus was explaining to them, it's not time for me to go up yet. Not time. He's completely submitted to the will of the Father. The will of man was calling, hey, let's go. Let's go to Jerusalem. And they, you know, because they weren't fully convinced, uh, they, they, were, they were calling him there. But, you know, they get to a point where 
they do come to faith. But remember, in, in uh, Mark chapter 3, you should see it popping up here. The ESV actually says, and when his family heard it, when they're hearing of Jesus, uh, they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. So Jesus' own family believed that he was out of his mind. Their uh, priorities and timelines weren't focused on God's will, and they weren't understanding who Jesus was. So they're saying, why don't you go up now? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? They didn't even believe who Jesus was. At one point in their lives, they're just saying he's out of his mind. Jesus addresses in verse 7 the world hating Jesus. You know, the world doesn't hate them. You know, why does the world hate Jesus? You know, that's, that's a, think about that. Why would the world hate its creator? Why? That's who he claimed to be, and he backed up all those claims. And whether someone wants to just, just reject that, they can. But Jesus is who he says he was, and he backed them all up, like I said, what he said. But um, you know, because he spoke the truth. These people hated him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. When it really gets down to, you know, why two years before they set out to kill Jesus. He claimed to be God. You know, they, they, that's why those people wanted to kill him. And then when it comes down to here, you know, the world hating Jesus, you know, and, and when he says they don't, they don't hate you like they hate me is, is what he's describing there. They weren't standing in, in opposition to, to sinfulness. Jesus was, you know, we, we don't like to be called out. We don't like to be held accountable. And, and Jesus was calling out sin. He was calling sinners to repentance, drawing that line where if you haven't repented, it, it, there's no eternal life waiting. That's, that's a hard uh, thing for anybody who wants to do their own will. They, they have their mindset on, this is what I'm going to do in my heart. And this is why, well, that person's telling me I should be doing differently. They must not like me or I don't like them. They're saying hard things to me that I don't want to submit to. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This group that's talking to Jesus and, and uh, you know, when he says, uh, you know, the, the world hates, uh, is talking about the world hating him and that they, uh, that the world didn't hate them because he, they weren't speaking out. You know, they were focused on more what everybody else was, more going with the flow than everybody else. You know, you know, Jesus calling out sin, and these guys here was—they were just like I should say more than they were just like everybody else, because they weren't speaking out against sin. Important for us to understand: we can't just join the crowd. We can't just be well. You know what? I'm just going to be quiet, and I'm not going to say anything. Now, when when someone's telling me that that you know. They have the right to do, you know, in a, in a private conversation, we're having that conversation of, yeah, I'm going to do this and that. And, you know, how come you don't do this? Well, because I, my life's changed. God's changed me. Instead of just saying, well, you know, I just kind of got tired of it. You know, we can easily make, easily just cover up the God thing, right? And just say, oh, no, yeah, I had my time, you know. I've, I, you know, I just, by the time I turned 20, I've, I've told people that by the time I turned 21, I was done with all the partying and drinking because God changed my life. Yeah, that's when God got a hold of me. Yeah, I'm married now, and, you know, uh, am I going to start being serious about the Lord? Now, we're called to be different as, as Christians. You know, when, when the, the Lord is saying the world doesn't hate you, not, not that we should walk around trying to get the, the world to hate us. 
But he, what he's saying is, is no, if, if, if you're operating your life just like everybody else is, you're not going to see any opposition. We're not called to be like everybody else. The church isn't. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but by, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That we, it says in here, would be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That our minds would change. And as they have, as Christians, as they have, we can't, we can't be uh, preaching that anybody else would just stay uh, along those same lines that the world is. That we would share the message of the gospel. And that we would explain, no, you can be freed from that too. There's freedom from that in Christ. Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 14 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. Awake. Awake, sleeping. They, when someone awakes, that means that they were sleeping, right? Once we've woken up, we can't act as though we're not awake. We are called to be awake. We are called uh, to arise from the dead, that Christ has given us light. We have the light. We can't act like we don't. So just understand that that there's, there's going to be uh, you know, a point where uh, we come to opposition because we're not participating in what everybody else is. Might not be getting the calls from friends. Might not be getting the invite to hang out for, you know, Christmas dinner or whatever. Oh, no, they're all Christian now. You know, whatever. Should we walk around trying to lop ears off and trying to sever things and, and being uh, being confrontational and rude? No but in love, sharing the gospel. Just saying, no, the things have changed for me. So when Jesus said, you know, the world doesn't hate you, okay, well, consider why are they so accepting of me? Right? I'm not saying that we should be walking around that everybody at our work, if everybody doesn't hate us, then we're not doing it. But we should, we should be known as Christians by the way we live our lives. These guys didn't get it. And Jesus was saying, no, the world doesn't hate you because you're, what we can see in them is they don't believe in Jesus. So if they don't believe in Jesus and they're acting just like the world, Jesus is like, no, they don't hate you. They hate, Jesus is explaining that the world hates him. Because, and, and you look what, what Jesus does. He, he's, he's calling them out of sin and in, out of darkness into light. And what, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit further as we progress in John, that the world hates the light. Because it exposes darkness. John chapter 7, verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, so he, he sent them away. When his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And they said, uh, and there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So it wasn't that Jesus was lying and saying, he said, I'm not yet going up. 
But it also understanding the reason they wanted him to go up was to take the magic show further. Come on, let's go up. Let's go prove yourself here. You've got more to prove. Let's go. And Jesus says, no, you guys can go up. My time isn't yet. To say that, there are actually people that say that when Jesus said he didn't go, he wasn't going up, and then he did, that he was lying. Jesus wasn't lying. You, you want to try to start doing that, that? That's a sinful heart trying to put a spin on Jesus so that they can dismiss him. Saying that Jesus Christ lied is saying that he was obedient to the will of Satan. Is really what it is. When we lie, we choose to obey Satan. Okay, he's the, he's the father of lies. No, Jesus said he wasn't going up because he avoided the crowd, bringing attention to himself before it was time. They wanted to go, like, okay, think about it. You know, they these guys all want to go, like, hey, let's bring the show on the road. We'll go with you. And they just, you know, we want to witness something cool. We want to be seen with Jesus. So Jesus sends them away. He's, he's not playing the game. You guys go up. You don't even believe in me. You guys go up and do what you're going to do. And then he comes up by himself. And he, he does. He goes up in secret by himself. He knew that the religious leaders were there waiting for him. And what they wanted to do was arrest him. They wanted to take his life. And his brothers wanted him to go for a publicity stunt. You know, they knew that uh, you know if he was going, there's going to be a huge crowd. and Everybody's going to be around. And they might be able to be seen with Jesus as part of what I, I when I look into it. Uh, I remember being a kid on the um, on the playground at school in uh, in uh, I don't know probably fourth fifth grade and the kid I I remember looking over this whole group of kids and they're all following and they're all standing there and they're all following this one kid he's got the remote control car at recess right and everybody wants to be seen hey can I do it can I try it you know and I you know I'm I he's my friend and and I mean this thing's going like it seemed like 80 miles an hour and it's going, it's jumping over and it's doing these spins and everything. And they, everybody just wanted to be there to see what was happening there. It's the same mindset. It's the new shiny thing that you want to be associated with. And that, that was the problem here. It's not a, he, he's not a publicity stunt. He went in secret uh, to not draw him, uh, attention to himself until he wanted to, until it was time. What we see is that in the middle of the feast, uh, the Lord ministers, and he comes. But uh, it wasn't he. It wasn't with the whole you know band going in front. Hey, here comes Jesus and everything. You know, he comes in his own way. Verses eleven and twelve, uh, you know, say you know that there's a disappointment that Jesus wasn't there yet. Some people, I no doubt, wanted to be entertained. They wanted, like I said, the magic show. They entertain. Where's Jesus? And they all start complaining. And, uh, you know, some wanted to arrest him. Some wanted to be uh, entertained. And, and uh, you know, maybe some that hadn't seen or heard him yet. And they were anticipating hearing him. They were anticipated. Um, you know, we never know what we're going to see. Let's just go. He's got to be there. Let's go. And when, when Jesus doesn't show up, when everybody is expecting him to, that, you know, he's got to follow us around like the genie. And uh, to do whatever they wanted him to do and to, to fulfill their own desires, they start complaining. You know, it's a shocker, men and women, women complaining. You know, <laughs> that's just what we do when we're disappointed or whatever. You know, they're bugged. They weren't getting their way. And, uh, you know, they'd heard of the miracles. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they were waiting in line like the foolishness on Black Friday, right? <laughs> you know, people tenting out for three days to, I don't know, get a 
DVD player or something for 50 bucks. And, you know, I've, I've always just found the, 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 anyways, don't, don't get me going on that. They start saying he's good. He's a deceiver. There's the, there's the complaining and then there's the accusations. No, he's good. And no, he's deceiving the people. And it's not uncommon to hear the same things about Jesus today. That he's a liar, he's a fake fraud, um, or that he was true. And he is who he says he was. There's you know, people on that. And you know, the world still hates the name of Jesus Christ. The fact that countries have 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 ruled uh, that the Christian faith uh, is is in uh, following Christ is against the law should tell us something, right? The fact that the Bibles need to be smuggled into China because Christianity is outlawed. They have to be smuggled. We actually had a friend over in Washington, his brother. Uh, we were closer to to our, our friend than we were his brother, but he just went on a mission to to go smuggle Bibles in China. And uh, he knew I liked his hat. It said, get to work on it. And it was this cool-looking hat, and I still have the hat. And uh, my buddy said, hey, he, uh, he wanted you to have this uh, before he left. So I still have the hat because I remember, hey, it's just a cool hat. It just says, get to work. You know, so I still have the hat and uh, I was just blessed to know that this this guy had had responded to the call of the Lord and uh, and was was going to smuggle Bibles in China. You know, why? Why they have to do that? Because the world hates Jesus Christ. Hates the message of Christ. We need to understand something and, and, and realize that Jesus said that he didn't bring come to bring peace. He came to bring division, that there was division that was going to happen over who he is. That that, that was going to, he came to bring a sword. There was a division there. In verse 13, uh, you know, they, the people didn't say much. They didn't say, they were kind of just saying, having their conversations on the side because they knew that if uh, they believed or had said anything in support of Jesus, that they could be cast out of the temple. That's a big deal. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I got, you know, uh, this church down the road won't take me anymore. I'll just go to this church. No, down the, like in that area, there was one. And if you get kicked out of it, that's that's shame. And that's that's uh, being being cast out of there meant, you know, you okay, there goes your business. You know, your family's going to be rejected. All those things. Nobody wanted that. So they kept everybody scared. And they had everybody. So they, they understanding that they had to put everything on the line to stand with Jesus. It all, and, and, and they're all saying this quietly because they don't want to start a stir. And just, uh, you know, the Jews can face the same now. If they claim the, to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they can be cast out. And uh, so they just, they just keep, their mind, keep their mouths shut. They didn't want to create waves, so they all just said they're going to be quiet. You know, for Christians, we should never, it shouldn't be that we ever deny the Lord, but to share him in boldness and love whenever he opens the opportunity up for us to do so. You know, these guys were afraid to say anything because they were afraid they might uh, have some sort of negative repercussion. Let that push our us closer to the Lord that, oh, you know what, this might cause this. Like, you know, I, whatever it is, uh, that, that it might cost us. If, if we're presented with, well, it's either God or me. In those types of circumstances, it might not be that direct that that direct line being drawn. But when we understand, I tell you right now, choose Jesus every time. 
We're it, it, Justin was just saying it here that as he's just yielding his life to the Lord uh, over the past few years, there's no regret in following Jesus. We may think there is. We may think, oh, you know what? I'm going to lose too much if I turn to Jesus. What did the Lord say? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it, right? That's where we find it. They're worried about the opposition. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12 said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just be obedient to the Lord and serve him. Be afraid of the crowds. Don't be afraid of whatever. We just follow the Lord. You know what? Might lose a friendship. Were they really a friend? You know, I've explained, you know, my, uh, you know, my experiences uh, that I, what I've seen the most as I've just made my stand for the Lord um, isn't complete and utter rejection of conversation, but it's non-inclusion. Uh, you know, when we'd go on trips or whatever, my, at my old job, we go on business trips and, and everything is, you know, you know what, I'll, you know, I'm just going to go, <laughs> I'll just end up being by myself. I'm going to go buy ticket and go watch a baseball game or something that's usually a way it was here in america we're not we're not often facing a physical uh rejection of i'm gonna get beat up for my faith i'm gonna i my life is on the line for my faith not in america at least not yet that we make a stand for christ but be prepared for maybe the the non-calls you know, hey, we're all going to go uh, to the movies tonight. We're all going to go out to eat, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, the calls start happening the more that we're making our stand for Christ. Please understand, I'm not calling us to being uh, at a point of annoyance where we drive people nuts. That's not what I'm talking about here. But we also should not be hiding our faith from anybody. We can't hide our faith from anybody. We're called to be salt and light. can't be uh, a light that's put under the basket, right? We can't be afraid of what, what the circumstances are going to be after we make a stance for the Lord. Just make our stance for him. John 7, verse 14. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And the Jews um, marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will... He shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is of, from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks for, from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. So the middle of the feast was halfway through that, that week of the feast there that's, that's happening here. Uh, they'd probably given up hope that they were going to see or hear Jesus. So they're kind of going, oh, it's just like every other one. Uh, and then all, all of a sudden Jesus is there and he's, he's speaking. And, you know, as he appears in the temple uh, speaking, you know, he, he arrived based on his own timing, not man's. You know, they're all whining, complaining and, and, you know, afraid to say that they really were looking forward to hear from him. But when he finally came, everybody's in shock and they're in a, a, a point where whoa you know they, they'd probably given up and 
The Jews are marveling, and when it says the Jews in here, uh, in context, it's speaking of the religious leaders. So it's, it's, they're marveling at the fact that, uh, of his knowledge of the scripture and his ability to read. And they are marveled, uh, you know, when he finished his Sermon on the Mount. You remember that? When he finished his Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to read the end of it. Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29 says, So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus is the word of God. You know, so when he teaches, he can teach on an, with an authority that no, no one else can. He's passed on the authority, the word of God to us, and we can preach boldly in his name, understanding he is uh, the word of God. There was no seminary that uh, you know could teach Jesus. You know, it's not like it's not like he needed to go to a Bible school to understand the Word of God. You remember when he was twelve years old and he's in the temple. You know, Mary, Joseph, they each thought, "Oh, he must be. Oh, you know what? He's with he's with the family. Somebody grabbed him. He's walking uh, with everybody else." They get to the point where they're three days looking for Jesus after they realize that they missed him and they find him uh, in the temple. And Luke 22, verses 46 and 47 says, Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher, teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47, And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. He's sitting in the midst of teachers, and everybody's astonished at what he's asking and what he's saying. There's He's... he's He's God in the flesh, and he's the word of God. And you know, uh, These ones that had devoted their whole lives to the scripture, to knowing the scriptures, to teaching them, they're all astonished at a 12-year-old boy and what he had to say. Why? He's the eternal one. The scriptures all speak of him. He's God in the flesh. Verses 16 through 18, they're questioning how he, continuing and uh, as we're studying through this, they're questioning how he knows so much. You know, he hadn't been, been through all the training and schooling that they had, uh, and they knew it. You know, and instead of addressing uh, how he knew it, and 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 uh, you know that Jesus knew what he did, you know, he defended his doctrine. It wasn't like, oh, oh, you're wondering how I knew all these things. Okay, what I'll tell you is, you know, I was homeschooled, and my mom taught. You know, he didn't. Get, he doesn't get into that. He literally goes to the point where he's explaining. You know, you have these questions, but you need to understand what what the important thing uh, is is that you understand the uh, the doctrine. Jesus points to his doctrine. They're saying, "How does he, How can he speak? How does he know letters? He hasn't been to Bible school. He, he doesn't. He doesn't know these things. How is he speaking with authority on these things?" And Jesus starts pointing them. You need to understand if you can. Uh, if you look at my doctrine and you know that it works, uh, lines up with the Word of God. That's all you need to worry about. That his doctrine it was from the Father. And it's deeply rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. These guys had devoted their lives to knowing the Old Testament. So when Jesus is, is teaching them and he's talking to them, they should have recognized who he was. You know, they, these guys are students of the scripture. They should have been able to recognize what he said and what he did, and they, they, they hadn't. And he says here that if anybody wants to do God's will, uh, when he makes that statement, they need to understand who he is. That was a big deal for them because, you know, for them, it was all about uh, their uh, their religious practices and their traditions. And, and Jesus is bringing it all back to 
if you want to do God's will, you, you can't do God's will outside of understanding who Jesus is and recognizing who he is. It's all based on his doctrine. And his doctrine was in line you know, with, with the word of God. You know, and he proves what he what he provides here is a measure for teachers. And he says, you know, is their teaching what we can look at it, what we can gain from it? Is their teaching biblical and does it bring glory to God? That's what that's what he he, he brings out uh, there as as proof. You want proof that I can speak that, that uh, you know, you're all amazed that I can read. But do you understand my doctrine? Do you understand what's happening here? Um, I was talking with with Shane uh, it was uh, after one of these services, and he had uh, talked with Brian Garrity. He leads the uh, Wave Escape uh, Addiction Recovery meetings on Friday here. And uh, Brian came back from uh, from Africa and was saying that the prosperity doctrine is plaguing Africa, plaguing Africa. They And these teachers, Shane was explaining to me, these teachers do not want a Bible teaching ministry around there, Calvary Chapel, uh, any any Bible teaching ministry around there. Why? Because they are wolves in sheep's clothing. If you read through the Psalms, which we're doing on Sunday nights, as you read through those and you're seeing the one, it, the, the judgment that's coming on the one that would take advantage of the poor, and read through them, and it's nothing anybody wants anything to do with that judgment from God. What we have to understand is that's happening there in that area. They do not want uh, Josh and Kelsey uh, to get over there and to set up a church in that area. They don't want the word of God being preached there because those wolves in sheep's clothing are stealing from everybody and lining their own pockets. They do not want the gospel. They, they, to them, this is... This is uh, their own spot that they can push everybody uh, ev uh, the truth away and they can take these people and exploit them and take from them. If they understood the judgment coming on them, if only they did, taking advantage of people in God's name. You know, when, when Jesus is talking here, he's talking about a glory. And it's in verse 18. He says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. That glory that somebody might be seeking. The father will glorify Jesus Christ. We know this. John 17, Jesus prayed this. He says, father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son May also may glorify you. 17 uh, verses 4 and 5 says, uh, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus could have stood up and been like, I want my glory now, and revealed who he was. But the plan and the will of the Father wasn't for him to do that. He had to put up with this nonsense of these people out there just saying stuff to him and everything. And he continuously had to just put the truth out there, put the truth out there for them to contend with. He could have just demanded and he could have, and he, he, he's, he's proving himself by his works and his words and they just kept rejecting. At the end of verse 18, he claims that there is no unrighteousness in him, that he is holy. 
He's sinless. He's spotless is what he's saying. You know, for those religious leaders, they would understand that that, that would mean he's like a spotless lamb that was required for sacrifice. You know, the spot symbolizing a sin and imperfection, and he was uh, and is the perfect and sinless one that became sin for us, the scriptures say. Think of that. The one that was sinless became sin for us. Everybody in here, that the spotless one had the stains on him for us, took those stains, our stains, our sin upon himself for us to save us. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation, that God isn't imputing, keeping us guilty in our sin, that imputing of sin. Now now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were uh, pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him, uh, sorry, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm going to read that last verse again. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That Meditate on that. That the one that was sinless was made sin so that all of us can be redeemed by Christ. That we can be redeemed to God because of what Christ offered himself on the cross. We can come to God in Christ's righteousness. We've, we've, that sin is washed away, and we put on the righteousness of Christ. Because he who was, not sin, was sinless became sin for us. Chew on that for the rest of the day. That the one that was sinless, the one that did no wrong, took the punishment for us that did the wrong, that we might be saved. Amen? I had thought I was getting through this whole chapter. I got through 18 verses. 18 verses. I I told Casey, he's like, are we doing seven and eight? And I'm like, we'll be lucky if we get through. You know, I said, we'll be doing good if we get through seven. We're going to pick up on the conversation uh, in in verse 19 uh, next week when we meet. Will you all stand with me and we'll pray? Lord, that the one who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Understanding what's happening here is our Lord addressing those who don't believe and uh, those who uh, have uh, lying and murderous hearts. We can learn from this conversation of who you are. Be strengthened in our faith. Oh Lord, we fall, we stumble, Lord. We, go, we, we may play around with sin. Help us not to do so. But Lord, to stand boldly in your name, publicly, 
to be fastened to you, Lord. And when we see that that drawing of sin trying to draw us away from you, that we would just cling to you and and uh, understand that uh, we have our strength in you. When we feel like we don't have any strength to resist sin, that we would come to you and say, Lord, I don't want to do it. I know that the one that was had no sin was made sin, that I can be forgiven. I don't want to return to that slavery. I want to serve you. God, that we can trust in you and stand in you in boldness and love. We pray we'd do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.